Are you tired, listless, looking for a moment of escape from this hellish nightmare reality you inhabit? Today's lucky winner from Sanguis Pharmaceuticals can help. Independent studies that are definitely not fictional showed that listeners reduced their boredom by up to 69%. Today's lucky winner is not for everyone. Do not listen to today's lucky winner if you are under 18, easily offended by cussing, or are a snitch who can't listen to fictional drug use. Side effects may include giggling, distraction from worldly concerns, and hyper-aggressive sleep punching. Ask your doctor if today's lucky winner is right for you. buddies it's Brianne um here's a little bonus episode for you uh sorry for the low energy like late night radio host thing I got going on um my high risk ass got my uh Pfizer booster and hooey did it did that booster kick my butt a little more than I expected so just uh my my achy tired self giving you an intro to this bonus episode But uh, this bonus episode is made up of content I wrote for episodes 17 and 18, um, where Don goes into sensory overload at the voyeur convention and needs to have her noise-canceling headphones on. So for me, as an autistic person, um, I often need something playing in the background to help sort of chill out um but it has to be something i've heard before so when i wrote this episode i thought hey maybe dawn is listening to like an audiobook that she's familiar with um and then i realized if i did that for the back of the episode i would have to write that audiobook uh so this is the audiobook about tardigrades or butthole bears as the uh the cool people call them um, this is the audiobook about butthole bears that was in the background of episodes 17 and 18 um, that you barely heard any of, but I wrote and uh, Kyle did the beautiful voice for, and Sean actually did a complete score. Um, he scored the audiobook, so, you know, eat my ass, David Attenborough. Like, uh, so enjoy my, uh, enjoy my magnum opus about butthole bears while we're in this little hiatus. And also we miss you and we can't wait to see you again. Uh, well, to be in your ear holes again. But, uh, this is Butthole Bears, the unauthorized biography. I've got an idea. Can I grab your phone? One squeeze. Okay. Rita put the right side of the headphones back on Dawn's ear, and she began to do something on Dawn's phone. She tapped the screen once, and looked up at Dawn with a gentle smile. You are listening to Phylum Tartigrada, a comprehensive look at nature's most resilient invertebrate, by Rene von Vandersen, narrated 
by Spencer Pendragon. Cockroaches may be known as the most likely survivors of a nuclear holocaust, but could a cockroach survive 30 years in a freezer? What about cosmic radiation and the vacuum of space? The cockroach doesn't stand a chance when put face to face with the most resilient of creatures, the tardigrade. Johann August Ephraim Goetz, a German pastor, discovered them in 1773. He bestowed upon them the name Tartigrada, meaning slow stepper. A few short years later, in 1776, Italian biologist Lazzaro Spallanzani would discover what makes these microscopic marvels nearly indestructible. Through a process called cryptobiosis, tardigrades enter a self-imposed form of stasis. They dehydrate their bodies, retracting their heads and legs curling into a ball called a ton. While in this state, their metabolic activity is reduced to 0.01% of their normal rate. Even more incredibly, their minuscule bodies create ways of protecting themselves from whatever harsh environments they may be exposed to in their dehydrated state. Their vital organs are protected by trehalose, a sugary gel. Additionally, they produce large amounts of antioxidants. This, along with a protein they produce, protects their DNA from radiation damage. A cockroach could never hold a candle to the small, yet mighty, tardigrade. Not only are these moss piglets intrepid astronauts, they have been found thriving in some of the harshest environments that planet Earth has to offer. And no, they aren't retail workers on Black Friday. They have been found at the most incredible depths in the bottom of the Antarctic Ocean. That's almost as low as I got when I hit rock bottom and left an anonymous one-star Yelp review on my ex-partner's new haberdashery business. <laughs> Water bears also enjoy a good soak. And they've been discovered in Japanese hot springs. They're also big fans of getting high as they've even been discovered 5,546 meters up a mountain in the Himalayas. It's no wonder that scientists have dated their tardigrade fossils as far back as 500 million years in the Cambrian period. Mm -hmm. They were here long before humanity, and they will be here long after. That seems fair. We humans are a sinful race, blinded by greed and hoarding resources. Perhaps the water bears won't share our self-destructive traits. There are multiple evidentiary clues that lead biologists to believe that tardigrades are secondarily miniaturized, meaning that they evolved to be smaller from a larger ancestor. Yes, can you fathom seeing these eight-legged wonders without the aid of a microscope? Just some 
enormous chunky lads swimming towards you with their puckered sphincter of a face. <laughs> Incredible. If you were a mere millimeter in size, these water bears would seem as fearsome to you as a mighty grizzly bear does now, typically ranging from 0.3 to 0.5 millimeters with the largest species clocking in at 1.2 millimeters. Their tiny, segmented bodies are a marvel. Their bodies are made up of a head and three small segments, each with a pair of legs. They also include a caudal segment, where they pack in an extra pair of legs. Equipped with eight jointless limbs, a squishy little body that looks like a busted can of biscuits, and bearing proportionally large claws, they are a sight to behold. Tardigrades have four to eight claws on each leg. They're seriously long. They look like those acrylic nails I had on when I scratched my cornea and had to wear an eye patch for two months. The cuticle of their body is made up of chitin, not acrylic, <laughs> and they go through a periodic moting process. The first three pairs of their squishy little baby legs point downward, hanging from their sides. These legs provide their primary means of locomotion. If a tardigrade wore pants, how do you think it would look? Can you picture it? A tardigrade in jeans? <laughs> Stupendous. Oh. The final pair of legs, residing on their fourth segment, is directed backwards and used for grabbing the substrate. <laughs> All tardigrades of the same species share the same number of cells. Whilst the majority of tardigrades are phytophagous, or plant eaters, and bacteriophagous, or bacteria eaters, some are carnivorous. I wonder if the plant-eating tardigrades ever get into philosophical arguments with the carnivorous ones. Would a tardigrade eat a veggie burger? We may never know. There are 900 documented species of tardigrade. I mean, holy shit, that's a lot. I don't even think there are that many kinds of dogs. How many dog breeds can I name? I doubt it's anywhere close to 900. Scientists have even discovered two new species quite recently in northeast Tennessee. What were these new water bears doing in Tennessee? Perhaps they enjoy country and western music. <laughs> if new species of these ancient animals are still being discovered, what remarkable variations of these creatures still remain to be unseen, hiding right under our noses. Since tardigrades share so many morphological characteristics with other species, biologists have a difficult time verifying tardigrade species. The tiny wonders are most closely related to the early evolutions of arthropods. Think of that next time you're munching on some popcorn shrimpies. A water bear's mouth, or rather 
their bucopharyngeal apparatus is most commonly used for sucking nutrients out of plants. What use is a mouth if not for vigorous sucking? They use pointed, teeth-like structures called stylets to pierce plant cells and algae. Whenever a tardigrade molts, their stylets are lost. Upon molting, their mouths secrete new stylets from a pair of glands on either side. For the carnivorously inclined moss piglet, their mouth, equipped with these brutally sharp teeth, is made to catch other microscopic creatures, including other water bears. How casual they are about cannibalism. Do other tardigrade species treat them like the monsters they are? Do they write horror stories about them? The research is ongoing, but unclear. For bearing the nickname Water Bear, these tiny titans seem to be able to do what most animals cannot live without water. And no, I don't mean they do that thing that I sometimes do where I go directly from drinking coffee in the morning to guzzling down a bottle of Cabernet in the afternoon without a single drop of water in between. Mm -mm. Mm. In 1948, Tina Franceschi, an Italian zoologist, claimed to have reanimated dehydrated tardigrades found in some moss samples at a museum. The moss samples were over 120 years old. Though her experiment was never replicated, it doesn't seem that improbable for animals who can survive the vacuum and radiation of space. Years later, in 1995, scientists successfully reanimated tardigrades that had been without water for eight years. You can't even reanimate me in the morning after I've spent the previous day drinking only coffee and cabernet. <laughs> Through the same cryptobiosis they used to survive other harsh conditions, the tardigrade curls its legs and head and enters its tun form to survive a protracted dry spell. I wish I could have done the same after my ex-partner left me for that haberdasher, and I didn't get laid for the next four months. Going this long without water will damage their DNA, just like any animal. But tardigrades are fully equipped for that inevitability. Almost immediately upon being reanimated from their desiccated tun state, a tardigrade will begin to repair damage to their DNA that occurred while they were in stasis. If that wasn't impressive enough, water bears seem unfazed by temperatures. We've already heard that they can survive the cold of space and the Antarctic Ocean and the heat of a Japanese hot spring, but in just how extreme of temperatures have we found tardigrades? They have been found at every extreme on the Earth's biosphere, to the deep Antarctic Ocean, to mud volcanoes. Ever the cosmopolitan traveler, the durable water bear eggs and cysts are carried around the world on the feet of other animals. 
In the 1920s, their heat tolerance was put to the test by a Benedictine friar. This friar, Gilbert Franz Rom, heated tardigrades to 151 degrees Celsius and managed to bring them back to life. I guess there wasn't much else to do if you were a nerd back in the 1920s. Not missing the opportunity, Rom tested their cold tolerance as well. He used liquid immersion to expose them to hypercold conditions. In three different tests, he immersed them in liquid air at negative 200 degrees Celsius for three months, liquid nitrogen at negative 253 degrees Celsius for 26 hours, and liquid helium at negative 272 degrees Celsius for eight hours. The tardigrades in all three substances came back to life as soon as they were rehydrated. They should really see if a tardigrade can handle something as cold as my ex-partner when they broke up with me via text using a minion's meme. Having been replicated, Rom's experiment was crucial in our current knowledge of just how cold a tardigrade can get. They can survive being frozen to just above absolute zero. That can be translated to negative 272.8 degrees Celsius. To give you some context, the lowest naturally occurring temperature recorded on Earth was negative 89.2 degrees Celsius at a science station in Antarctica in 1983. With their penchant for finding themselves in new environments, tardigrades are tiny ecological pioneers. Their microscopic size makes them one of the favored food sources to many aquatic organisms. Where tardigrades make their home, larger organisms tend to follow, with tardigrades making the solid foundation of the aquatic food chain, they are the catalyst for inviting larger and larger predators to an ecosystem, much like me, who seems to invite worse and worse people into my life every time I reactivate my online dating profiles. But one must risk it, for we are not all prepared to survive a prolonged dry spell like the incomparable what a bear. Given their near indestructibility, it should be no surprise that tardigrades may likely be the first Earth creature to inhabit the moon after an Israeli spacecraft called the Bersheet crashed into the lunar surface. It was revealed that the crash contained a payload of tiny passengers, dehydrated tardigrades. Sometimes I wish my ex-partner would take a wrong turn and crash their hatch back into the fucking moon so I don't have to keep seeing pictures of their ludicrous haberdashery business on social media. Have those tardigrades survived on the moon? Will we find them there on future lunar missions? Will they have built tiny shops but no haberdasheries? Because it's the 21st century, and nobody knows what the fuck those are. Nobody 
can be certain, but if anyone could make a home on the moon, it would be the mighty water bear. Not counting time in their dormant state, tardigrades have a relatively short lifespan. The average lifespan of most species of tardigrade is three to four months, while some species can survive up to two years. That's longer than my longest relationship. Am I the problem? I've been the common denominator in all of them. Oh, that's a question for my therapist. My attachment style aside, this means that our small friends, the water bears, must make good use of their time and be efficient at reproduction. Though type of reproduction varies between species of tardigrade, they aren't ones for romance. Neither am I. Why would I buy someone a gift on Valentine's Day? Would it not mean less to them because it was compulsory? Why, why am I the weirdo here? Eschewing any mating rituals, tardigrades make do without whining, dining, or 69ing. That all sounds nice. I'll keep the 69ing. Thank you. The species of tardigrade that rely on sexual reproduction make it count. The female tardigrade, independent and free from the constraints of the social construct of gender, lays up to 30 eggs at a time. Then, a male tardigrade will come by and fertilize them, transactional and effective. Their genetic line will continue. How refreshing that they need not even look at a man. Even more independent are the asexual species of tardigrade. The female of these species simply lays eggs, and they develop on their own. Imagine being that free to simply make up to 30 exact copies of yourself. I'd settle for a single copy of myself to go to work meetings that could have simply have been an email. Even with such a short lifespan, these ancient creatures have attained a near-immortal status, traveling through time, one stasis at a time. After all, Tardigrades bear the mantle of being the survivors of all five mass extinction events. One could argue that they've survived six, since they're still here after the velour tracksuit trend of the early aughts. The imagination runs wild, wondering what evolutionary leaps these microscopic monsters will make long after humanity has gone.